Well, today we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 12, and as you're turning there, we'll take your very long to find it, I know, which was in the first book of the Bible, so chapter, obviously. I want to say that if you like the National Football League, if you're a pro football fan in general, then you like the week coming up, because this week, tomorrow, actually starts NFL training camp. It does for at least two teams, for the Buffalo Bills and for the Los Angeles Raiders, Training camp starts tomorrow. Now, if you're a Colts fan like Dan, who's with them thick and thin, then the Colts don't actually start training camp until July 23rd. I don't know when the Bears start training camp, Nick, but they got to get busy. They've already lost, okay? <laughs> but training camp does start this week. But as the Colts then report back on the 23rd, they're going to be without one special player. His name is Kahari Willis. Kahari Willis was the Colts' strong safety. He's only 26 years of age. But they're going to be without Kahari Willis as the next season comes available, as training camp starts back, because Kahari Willis, at the age of 26, decided to retire from the National Football League. And it was quite shocking to his teammates and to people in general that know Kahari Willis. I mean, he was one of the great strong safeties that played in the NFL. He had a great promising career. In fact, this year alone, for this coming year, he was going to make $2.54 million playing strong safety for the Colts. But a few weeks ago, on June 23rd, he just walked away from it, gave it all away. He retired. He walked away from the money, from the fame, from the riches. So everyone started asking Kahari, why? Why? You're only 26 years of age. You're in the prime of your life. You worked your entire life to be in this situation. Next year, if you continue to play football, you'll enter free agency, which means you can probably more than double your salary. You'll be making over $5 million next year. Why are you retiring at the prime of your life from the National Football League? His answer was simple. He was answering a call to pursue ministry full-time. His statement that he put on Instagram said, With much prayer and deliberation, I have elected to officially retire from the National Football League as I endeavor to devote the remainder of my life to the further advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't it amazing? Kahari Willis gave up everything. Literally the fame, the fortune, two and a half million dollars this year alone. It's remarkable to think about what he's giving up simply because he found a greater meaning in life than football. But Kahari Willis then heard the call of God. And he answered, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. I'll go. And he gave away everything, and he went. It's remarkable what Kahari Willis did. But similarly, as we look into Genesis chapter 12 today, we find something that Abraham did as well. When God called Abraham, he also just went. Let's read the text today. It's found in Genesis chapter 12. We're going to read the first nine verses of the chapter. Stand with me this morning if you're able to do so. You're going to find the word Abram rather than Abraham. Of course, this is before his name changed. It's later in chapter 17. The Lord changed Abram's name to Abraham. But nonetheless, the story is a great one for us to be able to apply here this morning as we talk about faith answers the call. 
Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I'll make of you a great nation, and I'll bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And then you, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. Verse 4. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. And Lot with him, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all the possessions they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Verse 7, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Father, Lord, we thank you today, Lord, for the reading of your word. We just ask, Lord, certainly the blessing be upon it. As we read today, Lord, about Abraham, or our thoughts turn to any other person, Lord, we can think of who've been obedient and have heard your call and went, we pray, Lord, the same for us. That if we hear you calling to us, Lord, in any way, shape, or fashion, that we simply listen and obey. So, Lord, with this message today, we pray that we would certainly be obedient to what you have for us today in our lives as Christians, as believers, as followers. So we invite now the Holy Spirit to lead and guide and direct us. Let's open our hearts to receive your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we do the application, let us understand a little bit about the timeline of events and the context in which this is written. Because as Genesis chapter 12 begins, it has been now 300 years since the flood when Noah and his family got onto the ark, the last recorded instance of which God spoke to mankind. And we don't think about that. As we turn the pages in Genesis, we don't think about the fact that from Noah now to Abram or Abraham has been a time lapse of God really not speaking to his people in the way that we find with Noah and now with Abraham. So, yeah, it's been about 300 years since that has happened. There's a long time then for to go, for people to go, without hearing a word from the Lord. In fact, when it has been such a long time, it's highly likely that some of God's faithful may have then their minds begin to think that, well, God's forgotten me. That some of the some of the people may think that God has completely withdrawn from participation in the affairs of what happened here on the planet. But in chapter twelve, verse one, God broke God broke the silence and he began to speak, and he spoke to Abram. And as we think about that, then there's our first application because there is hope then for all of us, because sometimes in all of our lives we begin to wonder, is God listening? Is God really there? Especially if it's been some time since we've maybe heard from God or since from the Spirit that God is with us, that maybe we think that he's even forgotten who we are in a situation. That maybe he's abandoned us. And he's laid us aside altogether. 
And many people begin to wonder when they're going through the midst of a crisis and they can't feel the presence of God. They're thinking, has God abandoned me? Has he left me? Why did this happen? It's only sometimes natural to begin to ask those questions, especially if you don't feel God with you. Especially if you think about during 9-11. A lot of people in the midst of that tragedy was asking, where is God? And of course, we know that God is always there. But now in Genesis, we find that, well, it's a reminder that God never forgets his people. And whatever time frame begins to happen, it's been 300 years, but God never forgets his people. Last week, you may remember that we talked about the rebellion and the disobedience that occurred at Babel. But even after that happened, where he had to come down and disperse the people for their disobedience, they wouldn't, they wouldn't multiply and disperse in different areas, he came down and confused the language and had to do that for them. Even now, after that, in 300-something years, he's still there. And now in his timing, and his wisdom, he broke the silence. And it tells us then that God has not forgot the promise that he would give to save the world. So with all that in mind, then we go back to verse 1. You can see then that he broke the silence by speaking to Abram, as it tells us in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. And what did he tell Abram? Go from your country, go from your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now listen, it's been a long time since God spoke to anyone from the pages of what we find was written in Genesis. And when all of a sudden God does speak, he picks Abram and now tells Abram, I want you to go and leave your country, your kindred, your father's house, and just go to the land I'm going to show you. Now think about it, if God has not spoke to you in a really long time and all of a sudden told you to go without you knowing where you were going, you would think, what's well, a pretty tall order, God? That's incredible that all of a sudden you've been silent and now you're asking me to go. Because God is essentially saying to Abram, I want you to pack up your things, dude. I want you to go. I want you to move. I want you to leave behind your homeland the culture, the language, people you've known all your life, your relatives too. Yeah, he's taken Lot and his wife, Sarai. So altogether, he's making a big move. And if that's not enough, he's telling him, look, pack up everything you got because you're not going to come back here anymore. He said, I want you to leave it all, Abram, and come and follow me. And oh, by the way, you're going to go, but I'll tell you, we're going to go yet. But we know as you do the math, it's about 700 miles that Abram is about to go. That's what it tells us in the beginning of Genesis chapter 12. Now think about it. That's a greatly difficult task. I would imagine no matter who you are, it would be very difficult to do what Abram is about to do. Hard for anyone to leave family and friends. Back in the spring of 2013, I felt God making me a little bit uncomfortable. I was pastoring a church at the time in Hugh Springs, Texas. It was a rather large church. It had about 300 members in it. And we were quite comfortable there. And at the same time, I was also attending seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. But I sensed then that God was calling me to something, and I wasn't quite sure what it was, but as I began to sense things, began to pray, I realized later 
that what I didn't know was that God was about to embark on for me a 21-day trip to go to Chiang Mai, Thailand. So consequently, I began to pray and I began to accept the fact that I was going to travel internationally, abroad, and be away from my family for three weeks. Now, mix in at the same time that my son Tyler, who you met, decided it'd be a great idea if he'd go from Mount Pleasant, Texas, to Portland, Oregon on a bicycle. So now, not only am I leaving my family, I'm leaving my son, who's going to be on the highways of a bicycle, traveling 2,000-something miles, and only Sheila to guide him how to get to Portland, because he took nothing. He took a flip phone. It's all he took to get into Portland. So he called Sheila every day to get him there, asking which way to go. So I'm leaving that situation as it's unfolding, and I'm going across the world to Chiang Mai, Thailand, and leaving all that for her. And so in July 2013, I said goodbye to Sheila and the kids, and Tyler was on his way, and we, I went. But that was no easy task. That was difficult in itself. But here is Abram then, not knowing yet where he would also make his new home, leaving all his familiar surroundings, his family for the most part, and headed south. Now, for most of us, that would be extremely difficult. Again, in contrast to my situation, I knew where I was going, and I knew how long I was going to be there, and I knew I was coming back. And it was still difficult. What that points us to is the fact that it's hard in life to make changes, especially when we find the future seems to be uncertain. Because we're people who want to know the future. I mean, some of us, I know, like if you'd like to read, if you really want to know the future, sometimes we open the pages of a book, read a little bit the first chapter, and we're really into it, but really got to know, we'll leap to the ending to find out how it goes before we get the rest of the or sometimes we'll go to a movie, and we'll go to a movie we've seen before, because we really want to know how it ends, because that's what we want to do. We, we really like to know what the future brings. By the way, have you noticed, you can always get the sense of that in a Hallmark movie. A Hallmark movie is always the same, no matter what time of the year it may be. But at Christmas time, it really seems to be the case. You got the situation in a Hallmark movie where boy meets girl, right? And it's Christmas. So they got out of a broken relationship. So they really don't want to think about Christmas at all because it reminds them of the relationship which it used to be in. So it happens to be, as boy meets girl at the coffee shop or in the elevator, that's a good one. Or, you know, they go to the interview for the same job at the same time. It's like by fate, they've met this big great arrangement, a big rendezvous occurred, and all of a sudden they're there together. And, and it begins to develop. The relationship begins to develop. And oh yeah, they're over here not, not really wanting to admit the relationship developing, right? That's the situation in every movie too, right? The Hallmark, right? So they have a bit of denial. And all of a sudden, love begins to mature. And they actually come together at the end. It's one big happy story. You've seen it once. You've seen it a dozen times. Let me add, I love Hallmark movies. Because they're comforting. They're predictable. And I know how it's going to end. But life is not always so comfortable. Life is not always so predictable. 
especially for one who surrenders a life to serve Jesus Christ. And take the disciples, for instance. You think that when the disciples decided upon one day, I mean, their career, their job in life was to go fishing. So you think one day they wake up and they get all the buddies together and they say, okay, guys, let's go to work. We're going fishing that one particular morning. You think they knew when they departed to go to the sea that that particular day they were going to leave everything behind to follow Jesus. But that's what happened. In Luke chapter 5, we find the biggest fishing day of their entire life. In verse 1 of the 5th chapter in the Gospel of Luke, we find that the crowd was pressing upon Jesus. He saw two boats in verse 2. In verse 3, you find he got into the boat, which was Simon's. He asked him to pull away from the land. Jesus, of course, sat down and popped the people from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. In verse 5, Peter answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and the nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled with both the boats, so they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon Peter, Do not be afraid. From now on you be catching men. And verse 11, When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. That's incredible. That was these guys' livelihood. This was the biggest fishing day of their entire life. I mean, we know that disciples were fishermen by trade. It was their vocation. It was a career. It's the means in which they provided for their family. So again, do you think if they just woke up one morning pondering their future, maybe having a sip or two of coffee, and all of a sudden they thinking about this man named Jesus they heard about? And, and felt like today is the day we're going to have this abrupt change in our life? It, it, it didn't happen that way. Most likely, no, they did not wake up in the morning thinking about Jesus and about how they would ultimately leave all their family, their vocation, their friends, everything, and set course to wherever Jesus would lead them. They didn't wake up that morning thinking that. But that is precisely what happened. Upon the day, they left everything they had or they gave away $2.54 million and just walked away from it. Or they went to a place unknown like Abram, left his family, his friends, his homeland. The question we need to ask ourselves is, could we do that? Could we do what these men that we read about or hear about have done. It's not just men. Women have done the same thing. Could we do that? Give up everything that we possibly have been blessed with and just go. Because for us, I mean, we like to know our future. We like to know what tomorrow brings. I mean, like it or not, we become creatures of habit. And we like being in a place and position that is safe, 
that is comfortable, that is secure. I mean, I look around and see everybody here. I can guarantee where you're going to sit next Sunday morning. We just sit in the same place every day, if we could. Now, a visitor may come once or twice and may force you to move out of your seat, and you do so. But for the most part, I know where you're going to sit. It was so, it was patterned so much so that during COVID, I think Jeannie and some of the other ladies came over and put names in your area. Because I was standing up here preaching to an empty church, recording it, and she put the names where you sit. So I could see that's where you sit, thinking you were here. All right? Because we become creatures of habit. We sit in the same place. We like to be comfortable, secure, and safe. But here's the thing. When God calls, we need to listen. Especially for one who surrenders the life to serve Jesus Christ. It's similar in respect to the disciples. Or in their feature text with Abram. They left all they had. They heard, they listened, and they obeyed. But if you think about that, let's observe something else by going back to the text. I mean, make the message a little bit interactive for a moment, if you will. I mean, you're going to see behind me in verses 1 through 9, chapter 12. You may have it right in front of your Bible, but just, just look over for a moment. I mean, glance over the verses, glance over the verses, and point out to me where you find Abram questioning God about making this abrupt change in his life. Look at him, verse 1. He said, go from your country. Verse 2, I'm going to make you a great nation. He's glancing over. Verse 4, so Abram went. Verse 5, he took Abram, I mean, he took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son. In verse 6, he passed through the land to the place of Shechem. In verse 8, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel. In verse 9, and he continued the journey on. So where do you find it? Where do you find that God is being questioned by Abraham? Like, God, are you sure this is happening? What verse do you find it in? You don't find it. You don't see it at all. In nine verses of the calling of Abram to go, he just went. That's all you find. You find in verse 4, three words. And Abram went. Or so Abram went. The King James just says, so Abram departed. But that's what he did. He didn't question God about where he's going. He didn't say, what, God, are you sure? He just went. It's remarkable in our minds to comprehend the actions by Abram. I mean, he, he just left without saying a word, without questioning his friends, without consulting his family. I mean, look at it. If I get ready to make a major change in my life, I'm going to Sheila because if not, I'm in trouble. And we do that. We consult family and friends upon anything that may happen. I mean, think about it. When you get ready to make a major decision, who do you go to? Who do you consult? Now, of course, when you're going to have surgery, you need to make sure you go to somebody for a second opinion. But even if it's like buying a car or where to go on vacation or maybe even buying a home or this new job, we still go to family and friends and ask them about it. I mean, the fact is we often ask so many questions before doing something that can be so ordinary. It's just the daily part of our lives. I used to ask questions to Sheila so many times before making a decision, she'll get so frustrated with me, she said, just go and do it. I don't ask as many questions now. But here's Abram. He doesn't ask God anything about making a 700-mile trip. 
He just departs. If Abram was anything like me or maybe some of us, then he would have all these different thoughts going through his mind about how making excuses and arguments all the reason and why he shouldn't go. I mean, it could be like this. I mean, picture Abram hearing this calling from God, maybe like we could be, and say, surely, God, you didn't really want me to go there, did you? Surely I may have misheard you. Or, God, you wouldn't ask me, really, would you, to leave everything I've ever known and all the people? Or maybe Abram's thinking to himself this moment, well, I can obey God and serve him right here in the beautiful downtown Ur of his homeland. Indianapolis Colts strong safety Kahari Willis had everything going his way. I mean, he is in the absolute best shape of his life, making millions, living the dream. He could have had all kinds of reasoning and excuses of why he should continue to play in the NFL. But he didn't make it. As it is, we find in the text with Abram. And what a lesson there is on their obedience. Particularly for Abram in the text. I mean, he went forward not because it made sense. I mean, Abram went forward not because it was easy. Abram went forward not because it seemed like the most feasible way to raise a family. He went forward, Abram departed simply because God said so. And that, my friends, is the essence of faith. In chapter 11 of Hebrews, verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And Abram stepped out in complete faith, trust, and obedience. An uncertain future was looming in his horizon. But one in which he's exercised in obedience, complete faith, and trust in God. And I'm going to tell you it's the exact, thing, exact same thing that happens for a faithful follower of Jesus. We don't know our future. We don't know necessarily what tomorrow brings. But we're faithful to trust and obedient to God, to go or to do whatever He asks us to do. But as I read this text, thinking about what Abram did, and astonishing as it is for him to leave and go as he did, I also kind of turn the table a little bit. I begin to ask myself, and, and for you now, have you ever wondered then what it would be like if Abram had actually questioned God? We find don't find any evidence that he did, no, but. What would it have been like? Or has it ever wondered what if Abram would have questioned God and simply decided to stay in Ur, where his hometown, I mean, you are from Oakland City, Petersburg, Princeton, Francisco, wherever. Those are like beautiful metropolis areas, right? How would you like to say, I'm Kurt from Ur? That's where Abram's from. So, I mean, what if Abram decided, I'm not going, God. I'm going to stay right here in my homeland and serve you in, in Ur. I mean, what if he simply decided to ignore the call from God and decided, nope, I don't think I heard that correctly. I'm comfortable here. And God, I know you're not asking me to leave my family. What if that would have happened? I mean, that very thought prompts a question in my mind, like, what is it like then for someone who hears God calling, Via the Holy Spirit, I know God calling me, 
I, I hear that, but I choose to ignore it. What's it like for somebody like that? And it's actually one word describes what that person feels afterwards, and it's misery. Misery, which leads to our third application point. The follower of Jesus can become quite miserable, not surrendered. A follower of Jesus, which we all are, can become quite miserable, not surrender and follow. Last Tuesday, I get off work at 1.30 now during the summertime, which is why I actually don't want to see school start back, because when school starts back, it's like three hours later, it's like 4.30. But if I get off at work at 1.30, she'll get off work a little bit early as well on Tuesday. So we've been wanting to see this new Elvis movie we've been hearing about. So we go out to the Princeton Theater, and we have the matinee, and we have the Elvis movie we're partaking in and watching. Got the big bucket of popcorn, my great diet Mountain Dew soda, right? I'm comfortable. I'm good. She got her a water. I don't know how you drink water and popcorn together. But so we're there watching the Elvis movie and began to watch the things happen in Elvis's life. It's a good movie, but it's more about the things, although the pretty good presentation of Elvis in his life, but it more concentrates upon Colonel Tom Parker and how he really kind of abused Elvis and, and how he really was deceitful, manipulative to take half of everything Elvis ever made and, and made him really commit to staying in the States rather than traveling to different countries to perform. A lot of it concentrates upon that part of the movie about the abuse of Colonel Tom Parker. But while it was not in a movie, I, I once read that Elvis Presley before he died, admitted that he felt called to preach. But he never surrendered to God. And I'm thinking about that, and I'm thinking, well, perhaps that's why then he had a life of misery, or partly the reason. I mean, I've known men who felt sure they were called to preach, but just ultimately ignored the call, and, or, or maybe just kept putting it off, and putting it off, and putting it off, until they thought the timing was right. In fact, I'm one of those men who kept putting it off, felt the calling years and years ago. Shortly after my dad died, things changed considerably. Moved from Mississippi to Texas, and I moved to Mississippi to Texas. I was still in the chicken business thinking that that's what I was going to do. I was going to advance to become the plant manager. I was already a plant manager. I was just making a transition from one company to the other. But my goal was to make that next step. Moving from one state to another, I was going to take that next position. I was going to further my career. But everything changed when we got to Texas with Dad dying and it introduced to Jesus Christ. That changed everything. No longer was my focus upon the chicken business and making that next step in my career. It really was about preaching and teaching the Word. And I went through years of denial. Actually, Sheila helped him with the denial. Sheila pays the bills, okay? And the life that we were living at the time could substantiate making the change considerably from what a plant manager makes to what a pastor was going to make at that time. So we, we went through this together, but ultimately God called, and, and we had to answer and say yes and had to realize that the safety net, our safety net was that great, comfortable salary, that living, that fine, fine home, all that stuff was our safety net, and God just ultimately took it away. It got our attention. And I said, oh, yes, God, here I am. I'm serving you. And became the pastor. I mean, God 
begins to talk to all of us in some way. And with us, we just need to listen and be obedient and say yes, because otherwise it becomes a life of misery. I mean, when you feel God calling you to a special task, the point is to simply surrender. Because ignoring the call or delaying the action upon the call can introduce considerable misery in a person's life. Many times we always say, we'll wait till the timing is better. The timing is not right. But that's what we've got to remember. God's timing is always perfect. It would just take trust and on our part, but God will provide. Kent Hughes says when Jesus calls us, he does not guarantee the future or even tell us what it will be like. He does promise that he will take us to be with him, which is the ultimate land. He does promise forgiveness and inner peace. He does promise that he will be with us through thick and thin. He does promise our ultimate good. But Jesus does not say that it will be smooth here on earth. He does not say that your problems will be solved. Nor does he promise a life of peace and ease. If you're looking for these kinds of upfront promises before turning to Christ, you'll never get them. And if you persist in your requirements, you'll never come to Christ. He calls you to trust him and his word alone. We have to trust him. When God calls, we just need to answer and say, yes, Lord, I hear you. And I'm trusting you. Because anything less than surrender can lead to misery. But as we acknowledge then that misery and depression can set in by not listening and following to God, let us go back and reverse once more and see what happens for those who do listen, who do surrender, who are faithful, who act and trust and are obedient. Because they're ultimately blessed, which is our fourth and final point. Be obedient, faithful, and receive a blessing. Notice in the text, particularly the first three verses, that Abram's faithfulness through obedience, his actions, is with a promise and a blessing. Five times, read with me, five times in verses two through three, you find the word blessed or blessing occur. When Abram departs and goes, verse 2, I'll make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and dishonor those who, who, who or curse those who dishonor you. But all your families in the earth shall be blessed. Five different times blessed, blessing, blessed is used in verses 2 through 3. I mean, it's significant when there's repeated that many times, it draws our attention to the fact because it's significant. There's a message then for everybody who decides to follow Jesus Christ. There's a message. What is the message? It's precisely this. Say, yes, Lord, be obedient, faithful, and receive the blessing he has for you. I mean, I understand this. I've been through it. Exercising obedience to a call is not an easy task. So it's right then that we say, yes, Lord, here I am. Take me, use me. I am your servant. When we say yes, it's right then that God rewards those who follow him. People like Abram or Kahari Willis or whoever or like the disciples who fully surrender and leave everything. For those who are faithful, surrender and follow, there's a blessing. So yeah, so Kahari Willis is leaving the NFL. He started his new ministry. He's leaping out of faith, surrendering a lot of money, 
but like many men and women before him, as he begins to embark on his new ministry, his new life, saying yes to the Lord, he can expect blessings from that. Now, the blessings may not be what we sometimes think of blessings. We sometimes think of blessings as some sort of part of richness and Kahari was already had that. So the blessings that he's likely to have now is this great inner peace, maybe a great church family, and things like that. That's just a blessing that we have in life. But just say yes, be obedient, and receive the blessing. So it's time to really ask the question. Is God calling you to something? Do you sense through the Holy Spirit God calling you to something? Or are you somehow getting a restless heart? Getting the sense that God through the Holy Spirit is leading you to maybe a certain path? I mean, you may be thinking, okay, I, I really hadn't thought about the question, but when you ask me, maybe God is leading me. Maybe he is calling me to something. But it, it's not as grandiose as Kahari, Willis, or Abram. Well, it don't have to be. If he may be calling you today, he may be calling and placing in your heart something that maybe is not so grand in the all scheme of things as we think about it, but it's still something that we need to do. Maybe it's a new teaching ministry. Maybe it's a new ministry here at Crossroads. Maybe it's just simply helping your neighbor with something. But the point is, he's putting something on your heart, and he's calling you maybe to do some action, something for his glory. If that be the case, and that may not be so grand, you think, in the big scheme of things. Just say, yes, Lord. Here I am. It may not be that you're traveling 700 miles like Abram, but it's still he calling you something special that he wants you to do. So if so, just listen and obey. And answer the Lord. Say, yes, Lord, here I am. Your servant is willing to go and to do. Father, we thank you for this message today as we look into the life of Abraham. Lord, we ask that you'll be with all of us today as we take this message, these words in consideration today, Lord, that we put them into practice. Lord, we know that you call us to all sorts of different things, Lord, on different sizes and levels. But I pray, Lord, we recognize today the calling you have for each of us as individuals, maybe even calling as a church. And we simply just would be obedient and say, yes, Lord, here we are as individuals or the church, and we're going to go and do what you ask us to do. Lord, let us be blessed by following you. Let's receive that blessing for every person here. We thank you again for the message today, Lord, as it puts into the our hearts and minds, the action, the things that perhaps you've been calling us to do for some time. So let us today answer and say yes. Lead us, Lord, and guide us that you ultimately get the glory for all that it is that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.